This morning we are going to get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts and uh, the purpose of the fivefold is to equip you for the work of service. And uh, my purpose is not just to prophesy this morning, but to equip you and strengthen. So we had a time of importation, but I want to deal with a couple of things that is just the back, back to basics. And I want to share some things with you that will, that will help you to navigate through the storms of life. In the time that we are in right now, it is going to become a very unpopular thing to be a Christian. It's not going to be popular. A lot of times in the past, people wanted to serve God because, you know, it was a popular thing to do. Not anymore. We're in a time where the church will be persecuted, where uh, people will be persecuted, where you at your work position, when they find out that you are a Christian, where you will be persecuted just for that on a daily basis. And I want to prepare you this morning to navigate not if, but when the storms come. Because they will surely come. We can have a very glorious moment in this room here, but when you leave here, there's some storms that's waiting for you. And you have to be ready to respond to those storms and those challenges that's out there. This morning, I'm going to anoint you specifically as well after the service for the assignment that is upon your life. Um, as a family, we have had probably the worst seven months uh, of our lives the last seven months, the most challenging, the most frustrating, the most, you know, in every area we've been tested and challenged. It's been, I can stand here and tell you how glorious life is, but it has been hell for us the last seven years, seven months. We've seen the grace of God. We've seen the hand of God. And God has really done so um, many things for us and for my family during this time. But it doesn't make it less challenging. We face things in this season that we never faced in our lives. We have had encounters, we've had unjust, unrighteous things happen to us that is, I mean, it is so, so unjust while we served God, while we stood, you know, in the office of ministry. This year, I'm celebrating 23 years of ministry. I've never done anything else. I've devoted my whole life to God, yet I still experience the same challenges and same storms that many other people do. So I want you to hear this morning that the fact that you are a son of God does not exclude you from storms. It also does not exclude you from being attacked by the enemy. But what it does, it gives you the right to claim back sevenfold. And so this morning I declare over you that if the enemy touches you, it would cost him. It would be expensive. And so he has to think twice before he comes close to your household or close to your life. And this is not something that you have to fight for. Heaven will fight for you when it comes to attack of the enemy or assignment the enemy has for your life. Amen. That's my Bible. Okay to say amen or some kind of response. Okay. You can read with me in the book of Acts as we open the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. This morning, Lord, I pray that your word will go forth. Lord, we pray that as we read it, fresh revelation will come forth. Open our eyes to see, but I pray for revelation to come to us right now. Father, I pray for every person that is seated in this room and those that are watching on live stream, Lord, that you would come and open up the word to us this morning. I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to pause for a moment just on the word of God and explain to you the importance of the word. 
Uh, I uh, was in Israel many years ago on one of the trips, and I spoke with a rabbi there briefly, and he explained something to me regarding the Word. And uh, he said to me that when you read the Word of God, there's three levels of the Word. The first level is ink on paper. Any person can read it. It's the first level of revelation. It's called that. Anyone can see it. Anyone can read it. But then there's a second level. It's a deeper level. It's when someone who has revelation of that scripture reveals it and opens it up to you. Same verse, same scripture. And then the deepest level of the scripture is when God himself speaks to you through his spirit through that scripture. And this is the stuff that I'm trusting God for that he would come and do in your life. Because if you don't walk in the revelation, you won't walk in the power. You can leave here, quote the same scriptures, use the same slogans, but it would be of no effect to you. And so there must be a revelation. There must be impartation for you to walk in the, the power of this word. And so the word is powerful. And I want to encourage everyone that's in this room to read the word of God. People ask me, what's the five top books that you, that you would uh, encourage us to read? And I tell them, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, and the Bible. Just read the Bible. I do business seminars globally, and they awful, often ask me, they've got this question, and I think they get trained to ask the first questions, what books do you read? And I tell those that are in business, read Proverbs. You cannot afford to be in business and not read Proverbs at least once a year. But sit and read it. Just read it. So every, let me tell you the truth, every business book that is written, ever written, comes out of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs is the foundation of all wisdom. And so read it. Just open it up. And so really become, you know, a Bible junkie. Read the Word of God. Listen to it. Today we have access to so many translations what is the best translation that we have today? The best translation is the one that you read. <laughs> a lot of people have 10 different translations, but they don't read one of them. <laughs> so just read it, listen to it, put it in the background, just get the scripture going. You know, we have access to information today, yet people still have no revelation. And so use the word of God. It must be. The stuff that we're teaching here comes from the word of God. If you don't become hungry, for the word of God, there will not be change or any transition in your life. Now, I'm not sharing this so that you, feel, that you should feel guilty at all. If you don't read the Bible, you should never feel guilty. Not at all. You should feel hungry. So take the time. Spend it. Put the, put the Bible you know, somewhere where it's accessible, in the car, wherever, in the living room, just so you have access to it and you can read a scripture. Just open it up and read. Ink on paper. But as you read that... Now the Spirit of the Lord will start to open up that scripture to you. The scripture that I'm sharing with you today, I now at this moment, I've been studying it for the last seven months. And I just keep on, God just keeps on revealing to me more and more and more and more out of this one scripture. The entire message that I'm bringing this morning comes out of the scripture. Everything that I've been through, the things, the wisdom, the revelation God gave me came from this, from this word. Okay. Acts chapter 27 verse 22, give you a little bit of background. Paul is in a storm and in the midst of the storm, not before the storm, not after the storm, in the midst of the storm, an angel appears to him. And the angel of the Lord says to Paul, Paul, listen, 
God is going to graciously spare all of your lives and everyone that's with you for a purpose and for a reason that you have to stand before Caesar. And so you're going to go through a lot of shakings, but you're going to be okay and you are going to survive the storm. They're in the storm. And now Paul has to address those that are with him on the ship. And so he starts in Acts 27 and verse 22. Paul speaks to them. He says, now I urge you to keep up your courage. Now let me stop there for a second. These people are not sailing in 2023. For you to be in that boat, you must have courage. When they embarked on a journey, they did not know whether they would return or not. They did not have sonar and all the things that we have to do. This is not a luxury cruise ship. This is a pile of wood in the ocean with a sail. And now Paul is saying to them, you have to have courage. This, this is people that have courage. You know, the fact that they are there is because they have courage. But he's saying something very powerful to them. He's saying, keep up your courage. It's one thing to have courage, but it's another thing to keep it up. It's one thing, it's one thing to have faith, but it's another thing to keep up your faith. And this morning, as I address you prophetically, I'm speaking into many areas of your life, and I'm addressing you this morning, and I'm saying, you have to keep up your faith in this season. It doesn't matter whether you had great faith or no faith or faith, you have to keep it up. You have to keep it up at this moment. There's a lot of people who run the race, they fight the fight, but they lose the faith. They've been with us, we've seen them, but somewhere along the line, they've lost the faith. And suddenly those that were on fire for God, now suddenly have joined different religions and are writing books and saying things, which is the opposite of where they started. And they've missed what God has intended for them because they lost their faith in the storm. As now he's saying to them, keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. Now, as I ponder on the scripture, there's a lot of questions that arises. One of the things is, one of the things that I don't understand is how come God can spare their lives, but he can't spare the ship? How come God can protect their lives, but he can't protect the ship? It seems to me that God is more concerned about your eternal salvation than your current comforts. When we pray, the only thing that we see and that we pray for is our current comforts. When the boat gets rocked a little, we just want stability. We just want things to be in place. You know, my family, my children, you know, resources just getting into place. But we, what we forget in that moment is our eternal salvation. Now, the truth is, you arrived on this planet naked and you will leave naked. I don't know if that's a revelation to someone. <laughs> nothing, nothing that you acquired on this earth will go with you to heaven one day. The only thing that you can take with you 
is people, is souls. This morning, I pray that the kingdom of God would become something important to you. The kingdom of God would be something that, would, that there would be an urgency on you this morning for the kingdom of God. There's a man, Peter, and we see how he moves from one place to another place because he gets messed up and confused by current comforts. Let me explain it to you. The same man who Jesus himself says, where did this revelation come from? A chapter later, Jesus calls him a Satan. I wonder what people would do. I wonder what you would do if your pastor calls you a Satan. If he gets up in front of everyone and says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a very harsh thing to say, to call someone a Satan. But then he says why. He says, because you don't have the concerns of God at heart. Suddenly you've drifted off and your own agenda, your own motive, your own life became more important than the call and the destiny of God. So Jesus rebukes him because he's drifted off of his assignment and of his calling. He says, no, 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 get behind me. I have an assignment upon my life. You don't have the concerns of God at heart. You're not saying these things because you want to save the gospel. You want to save yourself. You don't have a heart for the kingdom. And so Paul continues and he addresses them. He says, keep up your courage. He says, um, do not be afraid. Um, and then he, he responds and he says something very powerful I want to read it again. It says, God has graciously, graciously given the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your, up your courage, men. And then Paul says the following. He says, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he has told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So Paul addresses them. And I mean, I try to imagine myself in that storm. This is in the midst of the storm. They are in a storm at that moment, and the angel of the Lord appears to him and shares this with him in the storm. And then the angel says, listen, Paul, God is going to, God has graciously given the lives of all who sail with you so that Paul, so that you can stand before Caesar. I'm thinking, okay, Lord, so you're saving me now to kill me later. <laughs> you know, what's, what's the use of that? <laughs> I have to stand trial before Caesar. That means the fate of my life will be in another man's hands. So why don't you just kill me now? Because there's an assignment that's on Paul's life. And I want you to understand something. Right here at this moment, Paul is protected. He has divine protection upon his life. Not so that he can go to Hawaii next week. Not so that he can be with his family or be, go on vacation there's a divine protection upon his life because of his assignment. The very thing that's keeping you alive at this moment is your assignment. It's not the vitamins that you're taking. Not the healthy living and, you know, all these other resources that you're using. It's the fact that there's a calling, there's an assignment that is upon your life. Now, the enemy wants you to believe the exact opposite. From the first moment that you are born, the enemy 
tries to discourage you, distort your identity, that you are useless, worthless, there's no purpose, there's no calling, you know, you are just a waste of space. He's trying to discredit the calling and the destiny that God has placed on your life because if you would find your true identity in Christ and the reason why you were born, you will give him hell on earth. So he's trying everything to get you to back off. And he's looking and listening carefully and trying to find something in your life that would cause you to give up. And so he will test you on many different areas and see what your response is until he finds something, until he finds an area. And he says, okay, I got a response from that area. And then that becomes a cycle in your life. The enemy is not smart enough to think about new things. So once he finds something that works, he repeats it. And it starts to happen with you over and over and over. This morning, God is going to break cycles over your life. Any form of cycle that started early in your childhood, any scheme of the enemy that started to function, and it's causing you to walk away, to step away from your heavenly assignment. God is going to break and set you free. And so the enemy doesn't want you to believe that you are worth anything. But I'm here this morning to tell you that you are to die for. It's so important that God sent this one and only son, not one of the five, one and only son. To die for you. It's very frustrating to me when I minister and I hear people say, because I can pick up, I can sense things in the spirit. When I start to prophesy, I hear a lot of people say, God, if, if you really love me, Andre will prophesy to me. The love of God is not dependent on a prophecy from me. The greatest sacrifice, the greatest price, he has already paid for you. Already. And he doesn't need some idiot prophet to come and confirm it. His son confirmed it. He died for you on the cross. Because of the DNA, because of the calling, the assignment that is upon your life right now. Now let me touch on assignment briefly and explain to you how this world functions. The world that we're in right now says you are too young, you're too young, too young. And then this world says you're too old. And so in this world, you'll never be ready. Never. I started ministry at the age of 16. I was too young, too young, too young, too young. And then when I entered the 40s, they said, no, I'm too old. You'll never be ready. The amazing thing about God and the prophetic is, and I'll explain it to you in this way. A few years ago, I got invited to, in George, to a, um, a retirement village. They invited me to this place and... Uh, Everyone that resides in this retirement village is 80 and up. They asked me, would you please come and minister to this group of people? I said, yes, be a blessing. As I walk in the room, everyone 80 and up. And I started to prophesy to everyone that's there. And at some stage, I had to stop. And I had to say, God, are you sure that this is the right people? Because I noticed that God does not see disability. When God looks at you, no matter your age, 
He sees the fullness of what you can be and what you can become. The fullness. And that makes it very confusing when you try to explain to God that you cannot because of a disability, but he doesn't see it. And so when God looks at you right now, he does not see all the challenges, all the storms, all the disappointment, all the rejection. When God looks at you right now, he sees the fullness of what you can be. He doesn't see age. He doesn't see disability. We see sickness, disability, age, color, race, background. That's what we see. But when God looks at you, he sees the fullness of what you can become. And so that is what is incredible to me about the voice of God and the prophetic. It's help, it helps us to look beyond any form of limitation. God doesn't look at you through a budget. He doesn't look at you through a banking system. You know, it's interesting to me how everyone always gets involved in politics. And I want to tell you now, Jesus, and that's who we follow in the New Testament, Jesus never got involved in politics. Never. He had his assignment on the earth and he stayed on course. They tried many times to get him to be involved. What do you say, Jesus? And he extracted. He never got involved. He never participated. He was focused on his assignment and his, and his calling. And so should you be. Truth is, Every person that's in this room has to stand before Cyril. No, no, no. Before God. Before God. And you have to give an account to God. There's things that God shared with you, things that he deposited in you, and you have to give account to him. And so the, the truth is God does not need permission from government to bless you. God can bless you. Israel was persecuted. They had a very bad president called Pharaoh. Wicked man. And God still found a way to get the blessing to them, to raise up someone, to set them free. Still found it. Why can God not do it now? This whole thing we're facing globally is just a distraction from the enemy that wants to try to get you to waste your time. Now, if you want to spiritually go to the next level tomorrow morning, put off the television. Immediately, you'll just jump to a different, different place. We cannot be bothered and moved by what's happening in newspapers and on the news. No. God has an assignment for you right now, and the assignment is keeping you alive. It's upholding you, his plan, his purpose that he has for you. As so Paul shares this whole story and experience with them, and he says, listen, none of you will be lost. But hold on, we have to crash. And so they, they trust him, and uh, they get closer, closer to, to the shore. And then some of the soldiers or some of those that are in the boat, they start to panic, and they, they drop down the anchors and the ropes, and they drop down the lifeboat. And then Paul says to them, cut the ropes, because if you... If one of you leave this ship, you will put all of our lives at risk. There's a word that God has for us as a family. There's a word that God has for us right now. And if you respond in disobedience to that word, you're putting all of our lives at risk. And they, they cut the ropes because of that. 
I want to explain this to you. There's some friendships and relationships and people in your life, and their time and season has expired. And if you keep on bringing them back into your life, you are putting everyone's life at risk. It's interesting how mankind thinks that every relationship and friendship is till death do us part. There's some people that are just not ready to move with you to the next level. And if you keep those people in your life and in your circle, those people will start to contaminate everything in your life. And everyone's life would be at risk because of their wisdom and their opinion to rather navigate through the storm in a different way. Now, it's very powerful to me to watch the story and what is happening. And so they reached the shore of Malta. They arrived there. Now, the people of Malta, they've been sitting on the island and they're watching this whole thing. They look at this ship and how the waves are tossing it back and forth. And they see the ropes go down, the life go down. And then these crazy people cut the ropes. They don't get on the lifeboat. And then they crash. You know, so these people of Malta see this whole group of soldiers arrive on the island. And then Paul is tired, cold, hungry, exhausted. He just survived, you know, a supernatural experience. And he's cold and he makes a fire. And of all the wood on the whole island that he can pick up, the, the one piece that he picks up has a snake under it. And he picks it up and the viper bites him. If it was me, I would say, come on, God. You, you just rescued me. And, and now you're trying to kill me again. I'm not here because of disobedience. I actually obeyed your word. It is obedience that caused me to get on this island. And, and now this. So these people of Malta, they have different, many different gods in their lives. And so they look at this whole scenario and they think, okay, he survived the the storm, but, but yeah, justice, the God of justice now caught up with him. You know, what goes around comes around. You must be a wicked man. And then Paul sits at the fire and nothing happens to him. And the people of Malta change their mind and they say to one another, he must be a God. The storms that you go through in your life will mess up your friends. Some of them will see you as wicked and some of them will see you as a God. When you go through stuff, it will confuse them because of the things that you go through. I want you to understand that Paul is on this island not because of disobedience. He's on that island because of obedience. He obeyed God. He didn't jump off the ship. And now this happens to him at that moment. I want to share five things with you. I'll try to close with that and then pray. I call it five things that will help you to navigate through the storms of life. Five things. And I want to equip you right now. I want to touch on the nuts and bolts of what you can apply when you leave this room. There's some things you have to do. You can't leave here and say, well, it's been a glorious moment. Wonderful. Let's just go back to work on Monday to how things has, has been. We have been in the presence of God. It's been a glorious moment. But I want this glorious moment to stay and to abide in your life. And I want to share five things with you that will help you 
to respond to the storms in life. Again, not if they come, when they come. That you would be ready, that whatever you face after this conference, that you'd be ready to embrace the storms that is out there. Five things that will help you to navigate through the storms of life. The first thing that I want to share with you is take your stance. Those of you that are writing down, take your stance. What does it mean? It means that you have to make up your mind how you will respond to the storm before it comes. If you haven't decided how you will respond, you will respond emotionally, you will say things and you will do things, and it will take you a lifetime to recover from what you said in that moment of the storm. And so you have to take your stance. You have to decide today, no matter what I face, no matter what I go through, how am I going to respond? As a family, we've decided. As an individual, I've decided, and I've made up my mind, and I've decided three things. I decided that God is good, God is only good, and God is always good. No matter what storm I face, no matter what I go through, that is my stance. And you cannot convince me in any other way. I decided, whatever storm I face, my stance is that God is good. Paul can ask a lot of questions in that moment, but he took his stance. How did he take his stance? He said, but I believe it will be just as God has told me. And so he took a stance and he decided that I will hold on to the word, no matter what. When the viper bit Paul, Paul did not question God. The reason is he had a word. And he knew that God would protect him because of his assignment to stand before Caesar, no matter what he faced. But the test was there. And I want to make it clear today that faith is only a theory until it's tested. At some stage, your faith is to be tested. And so we are in a moment right now where God is increasing the faith, but it will not go untested. When you leave here, immediately the enemy will try to come against what God has done in your life this weekend. Hour ago, many of you received impartation, and the enemy will try to discredit the exact thing that God did hour ago. What will your stance be? How will you respond? And so Paul responds and he says, no, no. And I believe it will be just as God has told me. Right there on that island when the viper bit him, he could just give up and quit and say, well, I don't want, no, no, uh, no, come on, no. But he stood his ground, he took his stance, and he realized that there's a greater assignment that is waiting for him. The second thing is the shepherd's voice. We don't say this because we want to win votes. Every person needs a shepherd in their life. Every person. The reason is the shepherd's voice. When you go through a storm in your life, the shepherd that is in your life will always have a greater insight into the storm than you have. And so to explain this to you, a shepherd can, go, can have a hundred sheep, but a sheep cannot have a hundred shepherds. People follow YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. They listen to all of these great and anointed, encouraging messages. Everything that you hear and that you see on YouTube 
can only be an encouragement to you. But you will never walk in the same DNA that that person has until you are in the same room. What happened this morning cannot happen over YouTube. You have to be in the room. God sets a place and God sets a time. And I want to encourage every person that's here, those that are visiting, those that are from this church, those that only attends open heaven every year. Every year, you just come once a year, open heaven's conference. I want to encourage every person to find a church that you can get connected to. And I'm and going to tell you the truth that there is no such thing as a perfect church. In fact, all churches are perfect until people show up. <laughs> and so if you want to move from church to church and try to find the perfect, there's no such thing. We don't go to the churches that we like. We go to the churches that God assigns us to. Okay. Once you are assigned there, there must be some form of relationship with your shepherd. Because in the moment of the storm, your shepherd, mentor, coach, will have insight into the storm that you don't have at that moment. When we went through our little storm a couple of months ago, in that moment, because I have a shepherd in my life, he could say to me, listen, you have to watch for this and this. And there was stuff that was coming at me at that moment that I did not pick up, that I did not see. That because of the shepherd's voice, it guided me and it protected me from that. Now, it's interesting to me, I do coaching with business people around the world and with all of them, I have some people that are their income and their success level are way above what I've ever achieved or done in my life. But I coach these people and what I've found with every one of them, where at, at some place or instance in their life where the wheels started to come off, it is because they came to a place where they had absolutely no more accountability in their lives. They became so successful and wealthy that they had no one that they were accountable to. I want to say to you, if you are in business, don't think that your wisdom and spiritual level increases with your wealth. You can walk with a coach, mentor, a pastor, and they can coach you and impart to you, and as you walk within your success level, and wealth level can start to grow. And then wealthy people get to a place where they think, well, no one can teach me any longer. And they think that their wisdom level went to the same level as their wealth level. Their spiritual level went to the same level. But in fact, they are still just idiots with money. <laughs> I have a business guy that I coach right now. He's, he's close to his 70s. He develops islands. He's right now he's building a hospital and he's building a school and he's building 8,000 houses on the island. When I coach him, he comes into the room, he sits on the floor and he says, teach me. He's realized that his financial status is not necessarily connected to his spiritual status. And so he's always willing to learn. Tell me, teach me. What can I learn? What can I watch out for? Help me to navigate in the storms. It is vital for you to have someone in your life that can speak into your life. Yes, Andre, but I have someone. Then I want to ask you, do they know it? Do they know it? 
I have people who I've trained and mentored over a period in my life and they've drifted off. And at some stage, they came to a place where I just don't have the peace any longer to speak into their lives because of their response to me. Something changed in their hearts. And so even though they say they're with me, their hearts have left me a long time ago. And that's why I want to say to you, do they know? The person that you walk with, the mentor, the the shepherd, do they know that they can speak into your life? Do they know that they have the grace? Now, my spiritual father, I've told him, listen, you don't have to explain to me. Just give it to me. You don't have to explain. So many times when he phones me, he says, listen, he starts with a nice soft. And I said to him, listen, just tell me. I know that you want the best for me. And so therefore, I'm ready to receive any form of encouragement, any form of discipline from you, because I know that you have a heart for the kingdom. Just tell, just tell me. If I'm doing something, if you pick up something, tell me. But I don't allow everyone to speak into my life. I have a lot of people who sometimes object what I do, and they phone, and they say, listen, you know, they call them watchmen of the Bible. I don't know even where the title comes from or how you received. I know the fivefold, but I don't know that one. But anyway, so they phone me and they say, listen, we want to speak to you in discipline. I'm open for this discipline. I am a man under authority. Any pastor can discipline me. Any pastor can speak into my life. But, but the first question is, are you a man of authority? Where are you submitted? If you are not submitted somewhere, I can't take you seriously. And so if you are a man of authority, yes, I'm open. Direct me. Speak into my life. But who's the shepherd's voice in your life? I want to encourage you. I can't explain it. This is for your own benefit. This is for your own health. In the moment of a storm, your spiritual leader will have greater insight. Yes, but Andre, why don't they speak into my life? Because God is confused as to who you follow. He doesn't know who to put the revelation in because you jump from person to person, church to church, place to place. It's not who they are or even their education level. It's what they carry on the inside. It's what they have. Now, every, every man on earth, and don't quote me out out of context, every man on earth needs someone on the earth that they have the same holy fear they have for God. Every man on earth. It means that there's someone that you would rather change than have them address you. I have a spiritual father in my life, and I had some form of disagreement with my wife. And in that disagreement, she said, well, I wonder what he would say. Let's phone him. I said to her, woman, whatever you want. Just don't don't phone him. Whatever. I surrender. Just don't phone him. Whatever. You're right. I'll buy flowers. Whatever. I'll do whatever I do to restore whatever we're going through right now. Just don't phone him. Why? Because I have a holy fear for what he carries in his life. I know he carries something that can propel me into my future, into my destiny, and I can miss a lot of sorrow a lot of challenges just by listening and having that voice in my life. Number three, 
And I can give you scriptures for every one of these. Number three, my confession. Every person has a confession. A confession is a company has a confession what they stand for. Coca-Cola has a confession. Every, every company out there has a slogan, and that is their confession. But our greatest confession is not just the slogan of the company. Our greatest confession will always be our daily conversations. And so if your confession does not come through your daily conversations, it's not your confession. You can say, I believe God's hand is on, is on South Africa, but then at work you can confess constantly that God has left this nation. That will always be your greatest confession, your daily conversation. And so therefore your confession needs to come through to your one-on-one -on -one conversations as well. Paul spoke and he said, I believe that it will be as God has told me. It is confession. In 2010, I was with a man, his name is Ron Kushmal, passed away with the Lord now. And in that time, he, he took me after a service and uh, he was sharing some things and he took me to uh, airport and he showed me an aircraft, his aircraft. And we stood there and in that moment, he looked at me and he asked me, he said, listen, do you know where this aircraft came from? I said, no, sir. And he pointed at his mouth. He said, it came from here. And I had absolutely no clue what he was saying. I didn't understand. And he explained to me that this came out of a confession. And so in 2010, I took a day off and I, I wrote my confession sheet. And I made sure, I took the Bible, I made sure that everything is covered in my confession sheet. And so I have a confession sheet over my family, over my life, over ministry. Everything is four pages is, is covered in that confession sheet. And if you read my confession sheet, it all points to different scriptures. 2010, I wrote it. Recently, I was in a situation where um, I had to explain um, something unrighteous happened to me. And I was in court and I had to explain some things. Uh, to people. And as I explained it to them, they said to me, but why, where did all this stuff come from? And I showed them my mouth. Everything that I have today in my life came out of a confession sheet that I wrote in 2010. And throughout the years, every now and again, I would take out that confession sheet. And I would just speak it. I would just pray it. Sometimes I didn't feel like praying, but then I would pray the confession sheet. I want to encourage every person that's in this room to take the time, write your confession sheet. Take the word of God and write the promises of God down and start to confess those things over your life, over your children, over this nation. Just start to confess it, confess it. Everything, everything that I have today in my life came from that place. It all has been fulfilled because of my confession. And so during the storm, your confession is important. Again, I say that people will say, you will say things that you never expected that you would say during a storm. But once everything starts to shake, there's some stuff that's going to come out of you that you did not, did not even know is inside you. And that's why we have a confession sheet. Again, the confession sheet is not just what I like and what I want to do. And No, no, it's the word of God. I take the word and I take the promises of God and I write my confession sheet. I put my name in that scripture. I declare it over my life. Those things. Number three, the confession sheet. And David speaks about that in Psalms and he says, My heart is stirred by.
by a noble theme as I recite my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. Not just a writer, a skillful writer. I'm writing my destiny. I'm writing the future that God has for me. He writes this. And then number four is the meditation of your heart. When you go through storms, you have to watch your heart. Because there would be things that the enemy would try to plant in that moment. And it will start to produce bitterness, doubt. Paul could have asked so many questions in that moment. Why am I going through this? Why all this trouble? So many things. So when you go through the storm, you have to watch your heart. When stuff starts to happen, you have to be careful what happens. And here's the old trick that the enemy uses. When you go through stuff, he says, well, why did it happen? God doesn't care. Starts with this little, little doubt. Little, just little things he starts to plant inside your heart. But why? You know, God doesn't hear you. He doesn't care. Why did it happen to you? You know, I was, uh, uh, recently we went through a crisis and we faced the crisis five minutes before I had to preach. I wasn't in a pub drinking. I was, I was, I was walking up on stage to preach. And I just received this critical negative news at that, at that moment, right in that midst. And in that moment, there's many responses that I can have. I can say, God, but, but I'm doing your work. Why does this happen to me? Can't you protect me? But I've taken my stones. Whenever I go through storms, God is only good. We're talking about an open heaven. And for you to receive under an open heaven, the bitterness that's still stuck in you today because of storms of the past can limit the open heaven, the flow of an open heaven in your life. Because you can sit here and deep in your heart, there can be roots of stuff that happened to your children, that happened to your parents, that happened to your loved ones, and you're standing under open heaven and you can't receive because your heart is filled with bitterness at that moment. As we went through the challenge that we were in, I walked into the hospital, I walked into the crisis at that moment, and when I walked into the hospital and I saw what just took place, Jesus said to me, he said to me, Andre, who is to blame? And immediately I thought, I wonder who's to blame. Is it this person? Is it that person? Did I miss it? I'm, I'm looking, who's to blame? Who's to blame? And in that moment, Jesus says to me, he says, I will take the blame. And immediately, all the bitterness that I had towards anyone else left because I love him. There's no way that I can blame him. I've made up my mind. I've taken my stance. He's only good. And so something that, I've, that could have stolen years from me, suddenly in a minute, my heart was restored because he took the blame. He said, no, no, let me deal with that. Let me deal with all the pain. Before that bitterness stuck, before the doubt comes, before you get confused and all messed up, before it happens, let me remove it. So when you go through storms, you have to watch your heart. You have to be careful 
what you allow. And let me explain this to you. I have found when I get up in the morning, the first thought that I have is a thought which my heart will meditate all day. I've also found that when I go to bed at night, the last thought that I have is the, is the thought that my dreams will be full of. So I can choose what I see. I can choose what I think. If you get up in the morning and you have an argument, even you have the best day of your life, your heart is troubled throughout the day because it's meditating what happened to you. Choose when the morning starts, before you look at Facebook, before you go to Instagram, before you put on the news, put the word in front of you. Choose carefully what your heart will meditate through the day before your day starts. Watch your heart. David says, he says, Lord, anytime during the day, in Psalms chapter 19, 14, David says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock, my redeemer. What is David saying? He says, God, 24-7, anytime during the day, if you listen to my words, may it please you. Anytime during the day, if you look at the meditation of my heart, may it be pleasing in your sight. Watch your heart. Protect your heart during storms and challenges. Keep it pure. And then lastly, prayer. I've shared last night, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, Immediately when we pray, there's a shift. Immediately when we pray, there's a change. I want to invite band or keys just to come up quickly as we start to minister. I want to end this morning. We're going to pray for the assignment that is upon your life. Now to just take everything. I don't want people to assume things and stories and things to be added. Seven months ago, I walked up on a platform my wife and, and was with me in New York. My children and my parents was in a different state. And uh, as I walked onto the platform to preach, my dad phoned me and said, listen, we were just in a major accident. I said to my dad, listen, put on the camera. I, I want to see the children. I want to speak to the children. He put the camera on. And when he turned the video, I saw my children scattered on the grass. I said to my dad, Walked to, walk to my oldest son. He walked to him. I said to him, Zandre, look at me. Everything is going to be okay. I said to my dad, go to the other son, Josh. He went to him. I said to him, Josh, look at me. Everything is going to be okay. The medic said to my dad, listen, sir, your hand is broken. We need, to, you have to put the phone down. And all five people was rushed to hospital in five different ambulances. We were in a different state. We don't know where our children is. We don't know where they're going. We don't know what is happening. Toughest moment of our lives. But when it happened at that moment, I looked at my wife and I said, the only thing we can do right now is to stand on the word of God. We don't have anything else. We have to stand on the word. The next day, we arrived at the hospital. I walked in intensive care, both of our boys lying there. The neurosurgeon called us in. He said, listen, I have to explain this to you. Both of your boys will never walk again. Two boys. Never. Five years old, nine years old. Never again. You have to understand. He took out x-rays and he showed me on the x-rays what is happening. Ligaments torn, both sides off. Back broken. And so in America, it's a bit different from South Africa they have a whole council, a whole team. You can play. A whole team that consults with you medically and then they decide what the process would be. Not in South Africa. 
they decide. And so we had this whole medical team that came in and they met with us. And how it works is they have two different groups. They have a group that's pro-surgery and a group that's against surgery. And they present the case and then they, as a group, decide what would be the best and they present it. And so they presented it to us and they said, listen, we need surgery. But as a parent, you have to give us permission. Obviously, I said to them, listen, whatever is needed, we want the best care for our children. Whatever, if you say that's what's needed, we have to push through. That's what we have to do. Whatever you say, we trust you. 6 p.m. in the evening, they said, okay, tomorrow morning, they'll go into surgery. My wife went back to the, to, uh, um, the hotel to sleep, and I stayed with the boys right through midnight till the next morning. In ICU, took a picture between the two of them. And uh, I started to receive messages from people, prayers from people. Remember I told you that when we pray, there's an immediate response. As a, as a parent, I, was, I didn't have the capacity to pray. I, I just stood there. I mean, we, we never experienced anything like that in our lives. And we stood there. And um, I just took those voice notes, displayed it over the children, right through the night. Some of it, there's some people that praise with no faith. So I put those down. <laughs> then there's people, you, you play their prayers, you can hear their people of faith. I played it over and over and over and over. It's over there. Next morning, came to collect them for surgery. They have a team there that made a brace for one of the children. They already made a brace, cast it, made adjustments. They came to take the final measurements that when he comes out of surgery, that he would have a brace that he would wear from there on. The team was there, and they, they came to fit the brace again and make some adjustments. And the neurosurgeon is with us in the room. They're ready. They came in the room to collect them to go into surgery. And he says to my son and to the team, he says, put that brace on. They rolled him, they put the brace on. And he said, just see if you can stand. And my older son just stood up. And now, I, I didn't know what's possible and what's not possible. And so, he says, it's impossible. It's impossible. The radiologist must have messed up the x-rays. And he said, I'm personally going now with him to x-rays. And so they went, came back, and he said, no surgery needed. No surgery. He showed me the x-rays. Suddenly, six hours, completely different set of x-rays, completely different. Four days later, released from hospital. Seven months later now, both boys are running around, no pain, not a scrape, not a mark, nothing. 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 When we pray, there's an immediate response. Immediate response. We were on our assignment. I was in America. I still had about 12 churches that I had to go to and minister at. And I decided it's a tack upon our lives, so we will stay. We'll finish what we came for. And uh, we prepared to stay. And then uh, one, e one evening, I drove back home, and God said to me, it's time to go. It's time to go back to South Africa. 
I've I told, already told my wife we're staying, and so I phoned her again and said, listen, pack. We're going to put everything in storage. We're going to get ready. We're going to go back to South Africa now. And so we got everything packed, everything ready, and we left Florida. The next week, a hurricane hits our house. Right, the eye of the needle on the house. Destroys the house completely. Now, there's two ways that I can respond to it. I can say, come on, God. I can decide, how do I respond to these things? All of this stuff that just happened, how do I respond to it? But I've decided I'm going to take my stance. God is only good. God is only good. Our family has never been as focused as we are right now. We've never been, there's an urgency that came upon us, upon my wife, upon my children, that we have little time and we have to use every moment. We have to throw everything we can at it. Not just 10%. Everything, everything. We have one chance. We can talk about 2024. Listen, you don't have 2024. You have now. You have this year, 2023. Right now, if a moment right now and there's an assignment upon your life, there's an assignment. There's a lot of stuff that I don't understand and I don't want to understand it. I can go there and I can sit and try to figure out how does this work or I can stay within my assignment. There's stuff that happened to you and it started to delay the assignment upon your life. Not because God allowed it, because you allowed it. The enemy wanted you to back off. The enemy wanted you just, just to lose a little momentum. He wanted you just to, just to stand back, just to, get, just to be scared a little bit. And it worked. God needs you back in full force. God needs you to be more committed than ever. God wants to bring momentum back to you. He wants to restore momentum. But why did they leave me? Listen. When someone leaves you, they don't leave with the destiny and the calling that you carry. The fact that they left doesn't change anything. There's still an assignment. There's still a calling. But why did I lose them? Listen, don't let the dead be more alive than their life. We honor that there's a calling upon you. There's an assignment on you. We can sit and contemplate and try to answer all of these questions and it will take a lifetime. Or you get going. Or you get moving. Or you start to get gain momentum again. The enemy wants to slow you down. He wants you to stop. He doesn't want you to discover God's fullness and plan that he has for you. He wants you to believe you're insignificant, you're not important, and you're not making any difference. That's what he wants. You have to get out of that place. And believe that you are living a significant life. A life full of purpose. Every day, planned, set apart. Purposeful living. You're not just doing things and drifting around. An assignment that you have on your life. Amen.